Hey everyone, welcome to episode 5 of the Romanus Records podcast. Today's guest is none other than James Legg. Uh, super excited to have him on today. There's truly no one like him, and I think he's got quite the story to tell. Uh, we just recently put out a new release for him, a 7-inch, uh, with two new tracks out as he continues to work on finishing up a new album. Uh, both of those tracks uh, you can listen to at the end of this podcast, and they're also available on YouTube in different video formats. And this new 7-inch release is out now. Uh, we've sold out of all of our variants other than Splatters at the moment, so snatch it up while you can. In other Romanus news, uh, quick updates. Our King Gizzard Liquid Fill project to help pay for my son's uh, surgery, thank you so much, is uh, nearly done. We're still probably about three weeks out as uh, COVID-19 has made it a little more difficult to... Uh, have optimum workplace efficiency when I have to watch a two-year-old every day. So thank you for your patience. Uh, also, thank you for uh, purchasing the new Brother of Brother lathe cut. Um, that's That was a pretty cool little bit. We're going to have a series of those coming out. We have a new one from Tarte from Detroit, uh, an amazing pop garage rock outfit that will be coming out soon, as well as a new album from them later this year. Uh, new Manus Brothers album should be out in May. So be watching for news about that as well. Uh, finally, once again, uh, our Coliseum membership program is alive and well. It's uh, only five bucks a month uh, if you go over to our Patreon, and it gets you twenty percent off of any order forever, um, as long as you're signed up, as well as a twenty-four hour early ordering on any product, both as it comes out. So if you're really worried about getting one of these variants or a one-off bundle or something like that this is a way to secure that order so without further ado james leg today on the romanus records podcast all right man we are uh live in time and space on the internet here on the romanus records podcast with uh my good friend John, and uh, also known as James Leg. Uh, James, where are you today? Get everybody in the stuff together. Man, I'm in my 1985 Chevy G20 van, parked in the parking lot of a Methodist church turned social center in Chattanooga, Tennessee. All right. Now, I did not realize. I come from a family of a. I've got eight brothers and sisters, so I know my I know my vans pretty good, but. I did okay. not realize that was an '85. I didn't realize like uh, that conversion van was was rocking that kind of mileage. How many miles are on that thing? Man, when I got it, I think it was like 130, which is not bad on a on a 35 year old vehicle. 130 thousand, of course. Yeah. Um, I think now I got a warped valve, man. It's probably got one more year in it, and I'm already looking for something else but i prefer to get these old ones that don't have computers in them i can fix them uh, yeah that makes sense know. happy to have you on today i guess like i wanted to just kind of i think there's a lot of people that may be through this release hearing you for the first time um because they live you know under a under a rock but that's not their fault they just live under a rock <laughs> you know that, that's that's the man okay the man built built that that home around the fault. Uh, and so, yeah, I just wanted to kind of talk with you and kind of hear your story. Yeah. Just talk a little, maybe a little bit about the release and just, I think myself, like a lot of people, the first time that I saw you, I never seen anything like it. And so, um, that's why I'm just 
yeah, I was so excited to get to do something with you. Yeah, let's get into it, I guess. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Where you? Uh, where are you from, man? Where were you born? You know, what was your youth like? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, man. So I was born in in Port Arthur, Texas, down in southeast Texas, right on the coast with Louisiana Gulf Coast, and it's like twenty minutes inside of Texas down there. Um, I lived down there the first five years of my life, and then my dad. Uh, moved us to Chattanooga, Tennessee, so he could go to seminary at Tennessee okay. Temple. Okay. Uh, and then he became a preacher, a Baptist preacher, and had a church here in Chattanooga for many years. Now he's got a church in North Carolina. But okay. what's crazy, what's crazy, man, is the neighborhood we moved to. Let's see, I'm 46. That was when I was five. So 41 years ago, the neighborhood we moved to in Chattanooga, Tennessee is where I'm at right now, sitting out this, this, uh, isolation thing, man. In fact, I'm across the street from the church that I was baptized in. It's really bizarro. Well, but here that, I be, <laughs> but here you be. That's a, it's one of those small world kind of things. Yeah. So, um, are there your folks still there or like, are they still close to that area? Uh, no, they're still there? Carolina. I've got okay. a sister. I've got a sister here, uh, not far from here, like 30 minutes from here. And then I got a brother and a sister in Missouri and everyone in our immediate family kind of scattered <laughs> moves around. I'm the <laughs> only one that always moves around, but yeah, we all kind of scattered. Makes sense. Um, so you, you grew up out there, you grew up in a, I mean, I'm assuming a pretty uh, traditional, like kind of, you know, religious family here in uh, the mid, you know, in the U.S. Um, how did that? I mean, so you play the for people who don't know you play the organ, and yeah. I mean, how did that all start? Was that just like the where you play an organ for church, you know, or whatever? Like my grandma played the organ, my great grandmother for like 71 years <laughs> at one church, and when wow. she was done. They like retired her bench and like it had a big like ceremony. It's pretty crazy. So, I mean, how'd you get into it? Wow. That's a really cool story, man. Um, I got into it. We started, they, my parents were musical. Uh, my mom singing in the church and in the choir, my dad too, some, but he mostly was a preacher, but they started us. I've got, uh, one brother and two sisters. I'm the oldest and, all of us took piano lessons for a year when we were six. They would start us out until we would lose interest or whatever. My brother and sisters lost interest in it, but uh, I took lessons for like three years in the church. Um, and then I had a, I had a couple of good teachers and then I had a, a not great teacher who I didn't, I didn't like her workbooks, the little ditties we had to learn. And so I wasn't <laughs> practicing them. And that she told my mom that they were wasting their money because I wouldn't practice. And so they stopped my piano lessons. However, we had a piano in our garage outside. And then, of course, in my dad's church, being a church, there's like a piano in every room usually. Of course. And, of course. <laughs> and of course, after the church service, after the he's done preaching and everything, he might have to stay and talk to council people or whatnot so it was a lot of late nights sitting up in the church man and uh the school i went to was also in that church so i was in that church 
And then Saturdays we had Sunday morning prayer breakfast. So I was in that church seven days a week and a lot of free time on my hands. So I would spend it in there on the piano. I didn't have lessons, but I just kept playing. You you knew enough. You had built enough of a base to just keep going. Man, um, I had this great teacher named Carolyn Bobo. She was the, I had three teachers and she was the second. And she she uh get, got one of these blank music sheet books and wrote out every scale, every chord labeled, had it, you know, on the cleft there. She she wrote all of that out for me in this book and which was super helpful because I can hear melodies and harmonies and things, but to be able to see what that chord is or whatever, it, it really helped me a lot. I've still got that book. Like it, I play by ear, but with the help of a little bit of theory from Carolyn Bobo. <laughs> how, how old were you when you got that book? Uh, let's see. So that would have been probably eight years old. That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. That's like, uh, yeah, I mean, that's such a, you know, a powerful, I guess, like, uh, I don't know, testimony or whatever about the power of like, you know, good teachers and good mentors and people around you, man. That's awesome. Is she still alive? Mm-hmm. You know what? I checked a couple of years ago. I looked and she was, she's old. She still, uh, sings in the church or plays or something in her church. I thought about reaching out, man, and finally I didn't. Uh, it was just, it was nice to know that she was still around and doing her thing. But what I've become to do is a much different thing. And I'm not sure someone that plays and sings in church every week would be proud of that. You don't that. know if, if Carolyn... <laughs> Well, you know what I mean? No, I I hear you, man. man. I'm singing about some pretty worldly shit, and I'm not sure that a little old lady in a a Church of Christ, or I don't think it was Church Church of God, maybe. I I just don't know if she would view, I don't know if she would want to know that it turned out that way. You know what I mean? It's true. You never know. Um, I don't know. I think she'd be proud to, I know you well enough, James. Like, I think that, like, I think she'd still be proud of the person you've become, man. I don't think there's, you know, no reason to no reason to have shame about it, man. I think you're a great dude. So, yeah, Thanks, if it ever if the if it ever comes across, I think anybody who's taught anything music related, if they saw someone who's chasing their dreams and touring the, I mean, you tour the freaking world for real, and we'll get into that. Like, it'd be hard not to be proud. You know, it's not like you're, uh, oh my gosh, it's not like you're it's like '80s hair metal. You know, it's not quite that. It's not on like that level of like vulgarity or something, you know. For, I mean, I try to keep it somewhat classy, even if it's right. uh, even if it's a little greasy, you know what I mean? Right, for sure. So that's why I'm saying like, I, don't, I think you'd probably be OK. So, yeah. Um, well, yeah, so you grow up, you grow up definitely in the church, kind of molded by that. And um, I. uh I've got a two-year-old boy. This is part of the fun of running a label right now as the world is shut down. Your two-year-old boy juts in. But you're working. You're growing up in the church. You're just kind of learning piano, you know, at your whim. And, uh, yeah, uh, 
you know, it just, it keeps going and going. And then at what point did you like get into being a band or like, what was your first introduction to playing with other people? Uh, man, that came probably when I was about 20. When I was, when I was 14, I was all set to be a preacher. In fact, I preached in my dad's church a couple of times and they were kind of grooming me for that because I was the preacher's son and, and I was all into it. And then when I was 15, there was a revival, a tent revival in Chattanooga that stayed here for a whole summer and all the area churches went to it. And one Friday night they were doing this, it was aimed at the youth and they were doing this rock and roll expose and the <laughs> what year is this? This would have been well. I was fifteen, so eighty nine. Eighty nine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is coming right out of hair metal. Okay, so yeah, like yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. So he does this big ex expose, multi multimedia. Thing. He's got an overhead projector where he's putting the covers of the records. He's playing little clips of songs. He's playing little backwards clips of songs. He's quoting <laughs> lyrics. He's showing photos of bands. And the whole thing, you know, is he's uh, the devil. Rock and roll is the tool of the devil. The devil's coming after your kids and rock and roll is the way that he's going to get them. You know, and that, that's the message. Well, for me, man, I had never heard any, any music I'd never heard except gospel and classical except for Ray Charles and Willie Nelson. My dad would let, anytime we were in the car traveling and that came on, he would let us listen to Ray Charles or Willie Nelson. But other than that, it was all he could, gospel. He couldn't resist Sweet Ray. He couldn't resist. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Uh, well, after that tent revival, man, it, it really all changed that night. I went from thinking I was going to be a preacher to really being kind of, turned on by what i just heard from the rolling stones and black sabbath and you know all these <laughs> bands that he he was talk you know trying to make a point about but it was cool i'd never even heard it and that's when it kind of clicked and i got into rock and roll about then and uh yeah about 19 uh i just met some other like-minded dudes who were into you know, the same kind of stuff, blues based. By then I was really into blues and coming from a background of gospel. And for a lot of rock and roll bands, I think a a gospel blues influenced keyboard player, you know, for rock and roll, it, it fits in there. So yeah, I got to sense. play with some, Yeah, got to play with some cool people when I was young. Kind of cut my teeth on that. What was uh this is something we really enjoy here when we interview people. What was the name of that first band? <laughs> <laughs> the Disasters. The disa Oh, that's way better. That's way better than most bands. Like, there's some there's some rough ones out there. That's great. The Disasters. Um, and so, how long? Man, greatest band that nobody ever heard. Do you have any recordings of that buried somewhere? No, no. There's. Uh, unless maybe there's some cassette tapes of it somewhere, there's no recordings. We never played a show. We rehearsed in my buddy's house, but people <laughs> would come after a few weeks, people would come and hang out at our rehearsals and, you know, so it just became this big and I gotta be honest, I was pretty wild during this time. I'm clean and sober for several years now, but back then I was pretty wild and we 
doing kind of a, we were trying to do kind of a Johnny Thunders slash John Lee Hooker kind of thing. Like we were a lot of punk rock and blues. We were trying to mix that. And then we were called the disasters and the name was apropos, <laughs> but it was a great band. I, it was a good band. We just never played any shows or did any recording. Hey, that's okay. I had a, a few of those types of bands, but they were not good bands. Um, so I'm consider yourself lucky. <laughs> Uh, I don't think that's the story most people get to tell. So most people are pretty embarrassed about their first forays into music. Um, so, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. So I think you're, would you say your first, what would you, I guess, be better to hear from you. What would you consider your first, like, parentheses, real band where you're out playing shows and trying to tour and do the thing? Man, I think that would be uh, this kind of i hate this term but probably folks would have called them kind of an alt country thing this band in chattanooga called uncle lightning uh they were really they were really popular here like they had a record and it's really good and it was getting a lot of airplay and they were in that circuit with like early drive-by truckers like before when they were still playing small clubs and truckadelic and $2 pistols and Tift merit, like all this kind of scene, St- star room boys. I don't know if you heard of these cats. This was a that sounds pretty rad. thing, but it was cool, man. And, uh, I did clean up and sober up for a few years in my twenties. And it was during this time that they called me to work with them. They were, and for me, it was a big deal. They were, a they were a serious and known band around here. They were doing gigs out of Chattanooga. I would say that was the the first thing that I was. It was serious, but it was serious not because of me. Like it was serious when I got into it, and it was a really big step up for me. For sure. Um, so, how long did you do that? Uh, I did that like I want to say it was like three years. It was right around the year two thousand that I met Mark Holder. Uh, okay, and that was when I met Mark Holder. Uh, he, uh, the band I was in, Uncle Lightning. These guys are older than me. They started getting real jobs and having kids. It got to where we were only rehearsing once every three months, and here I am, like twenty nine years old, and all I want to do is play music. So it was. I, get I met it. Mark Holder, and we started Moonlighting uh, as a duo. Then it became a blues trio. And then it became a quartet, and we called it the Black Diamond Heavies. Okay, so uh, I want to talk about that. I met, I've met i only met Mark once, um, and I'm ashamed to say that when I first met him, I didn't know who he was. And That's I kind played, of awesome. I played a show with him uh, yeah. in St. Louis. It was my band, <laughs> the Manus Brothers, and Mark. Awesome. And Mark, was it was such them? a weird... It was such a weird show. We played in a recording studio and there was uh it was like a bar, but then behind the bar there was like this studio. I know this place. It's like in, gaslight something. Yeah, gaslight, something. yeah. Super cool place. Yeah. But super yeah, yeah, odd sure. to play a show there. Cause you're like your natural instinct is like when you get done with a song or something, you hear people and you get done and there's all this sound dampening in there. You don't hear squat. <laughs> And my drummer is a wild man. So he was like 
like licking the window and stuff like that, and they were none too pleased. <laughs> like, I, I man, I you just cut out, and I missed that whole story. I'm afraid. Oh, it's okay. Well, what did we do? Okay. Yeah, uh, so we you know we play the show, and like my drummer is like a wild man, and you just can't interact with anybody. So he's like rubbing his body up on the window and stuff, and it was just like uh, <laughs> they were not pleased. <laughs> the owners, ah. but but. But we got to meet Mark, and I didn't know. I knew Mark had a record out on a live, and I was like, "That's pretty rad." And then he had like it had just come out, and it like blew me away, man. Like hearing him play, like I was just like, there was, I guess, nothing, uh, like that would just tell you that he was this guy, you know, like that the sound was going to emanate from him, you know, in a. Uh, you know, in 30 minutes time that I was going to be like, holy smokes, what was that? So, uh, Mark rules and how, like, he's just interesting, like interesting cat. How did, yeah. So the black diamond heavies, like that starts in what? Oh, one. Uh, yeah, it started as a quartet in 2001, but really, man, it started when me and Mark started doing open mic nights together in 2000. That's when, that's really when it all kind of started we did it as a duo for a minute and then we had a third guy this professor of music actually here in town this older dude who who liked to play blues also so we did a little trio thing for a while but then finally we got a rhythm section and uh it was me and mark dita and scotty and we were a four-piece called the black diamond heavies uh a couple of we started doing some stuff regionally having some big shows here in Chattanooga and, and, and around. And then, uh, we parted ways with the rhythm section. I had a little bit of a, a little bit of a falling out, you know, that shit's always awkward, but, um, that's when Mark and I, we put up flyers looking for a drummer and we put them up in Birmingham, Atlanta, Knoxville, Nashville, everywhere around Chattanooga. And Van Campbell had just moved to Nashville and called us up. We auditioned him. He he joined. And that, I would say, is when the heavies kind of got serious. Before that, we were a regional band. But when Van Campbell joined the band, that's when we started. We did all of 48 states and we went abroad for the first time. And that's when it kind of all kicked off. And that would have been like 2004, I think. That's amazing. So you're, and when was your first release picked up by Alive? Man, so we do this thing as a trio for like from 2004 until 2006, two years. And then Mark left the band. (laughs) And when he left the band, we were about to go to France for the very first time. That was happening in like three weeks. It was, he left suddenly. And we didn't know what we were going to do. I had already been playing with a drummer and I was kicking it in Kansas city at that time. And I had been doing a little Wednesday night residency thing sometimes with, with a drummer there. So I knew I could do a duo. And I told Van Campbell, I was like, man, let's just cover this French tour. Cause I want to go to France and, and then we'll figure it out. We, you know, we'll just go as a duo. And so we did, we, the first time we played as a duo, was in Paris 
it was sold out. We were That's opening awesome. for yeah, we were op- we wasn't sold out because of us. We were opening for Kenny Brown and Scott Byram. It was a good show and so that's when we figured out we could do it. We went right in the studio after that tour and recorded the first two-piece album called uh, Every Damn Time. And it was on Alive Records. Yeah, I think that was 2006. That's awesome. And so then did it just continue in that kind of formation for a number of years? Yeah, we stayed, uh, we stayed a two-piece and did a follow-up second record that was recorded by dan auerbach and when he still lived in akron and did you record that down in his basement like the what was it uh what was that called uh i forget the name of his studio i don't this wasn't in the basement this maybe he's got one in his basement in nashville but this one was part of it was in his house in akron that's rad um yeah, so we made a record with him, and then like a year later, we did. We recorded a house party, and we released that as a record, and that was it, man. It's we we toured a lot. We went all over the place and did. Man, sometimes we were doing two hundred shows a year, uh, <laughs> but it was from. Van and I kind of stopped playing together in 2011. So 2006 to 2011, five years, two records and a live recording. It's not super impressive, but we went a lot of places. We played a lot of shows and I think. uh, I mean, that's a pretty healthy, uh, especially when you consider the Mark portion too. That's a, that's a healthy length of a, a band existence, especially nowadays, man, just with, you know, if you think about trying to commit yourself to anything for a period of time, it's like with a job, you know, if you're at a job longer than three years, it's like, that's a long time. So, I mean, it's pretty serious. Um, and I think that band obviously has had a lot of influence on a lot of other people. Um, and I think, you know, that, um, I'm not trying to blow smoke up your, up your pipe there, bud, but like it's, it had a, it was such a grimy version of like, you know, just that punk rock blues rock kind of thing all melded in. And the fact the way that you delivered it was so unique. I'm sure that's how did Dan approach you to, to record that? How did that come about? Or did you just know somebody and say, Hey, I heard you've got some good production. Like how did that come about? Uh, that came about from a live records, you know, uh, that first black keys record, the big come up, I think it was, wasn't it? Or was it, was, Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been pressed uh, about yeah. 7,000 times. <laughs> yeah. Well, that first record was on Alive Records. Uh, and so Alive Records, I guess you know, is our indie arm uh, the kind of prestigious punk label. Well, Bump, I think, was having a hard time after after a few things and uh, that record from Black Keys was a real jolt of life for all of that. And there's a, a good bond between Dan and Patrick at Alive Records, I think, still. And he was really interested for us to work together. Dan, it was ju- he just finished building his studio there in his house. And, uh, and I don't know how many, but he hadn't recorded too many 
acts in there i think when we got there and we were on tour we we routed it in to where we were passing through ohio had three days off and then continued on our way on our tour so we just (laughs) quit tracking and left and then dan mixed it that's rad i think there's there's something to that whenever a band is like as tight and um i think being in a two-piece i mean it just it makes it a lot easier there's just less you know it's just a numbers game you know you can get through stuff a lot faster Mm -hmm. for sure i mean it's for me it's super simple man and easy as a two-piece is as long as my left hand is connected to the kick to the kick drum we're okay like there's not other instruments that are going to get lost or bad notes or it's just the two of us so it's right. it's pretty easy to stay connected for sure and it's i mean something i've just noticed over time it's just uh man you can it's easier to like if if something if you want to do something different off kilter in the middle of a show there's it's yeah. not a problem you just do it yeah. there's there's no you don't have to give the signal to seven people you're like you just tell the drummer to keep on drumming and <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah even like even like when you're bringing in a new song to the band, like often I will show it to the drummer at soundcheck and we might just run it at soundcheck for like three nights. And then, uh, and then there it is. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty liberating. Um, so all that aside, and uh, we definitely have a lot of two piece bands on this label. I can't help myself. They just seem to acclimate. You've got some good, you know, I, I got to say, like, uh, on tour often, and probably you know this too, uh, on tour often we we get paired with two-piece bands or one-man bands because because I have always played as a two-piece, and I think people connect to that or whatever, and so they'll stack the bill. And sometimes that's really cool, and sometimes it's not cool. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah <laughs> it's it's a total coin flip. It's like... If it's cool, you probably already know the band and you're like, all right, sweet. And then sometimes it's just like someone just thinks like, oh, yeah, we'll just slap all these two pieces together tonight. And you're like, oh, sometimes, at least as a listener, when you're when you're in a two piece all the time, it's sweet to see some big like six piece band that like has it together. And you're like, oh, this rules like, you know, it it would be you'd be like it'd be fun just to play rhythm for like a night and get paid. That'd be cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's just the reality of it. Um, so you go from it sounds like uh, Black Diamond Heavies at the time just kind of had its run, and then you start uh, Cut in the Hill Gang, correct? Uh, the Cut in the Hill Gang was kind of a side thing. Like, so Van got got married. Uh, he had already told me like he wasn't going to be touring so much anymore so i knew i had to start thinking about what i was going to do if i'm not touring then i'm not eating so uh so you weren't you weren't looking to go sell insurance or something (laughs) 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 oh man could you imagine (laughs) (laughs) oh no so i started looking for for side things like i immediately did uh the very first thing i did van and i played our last show in 2011 i immediately started 
working on the first James Leg record, Solitary Pleasure. And I think I got that out first. And, or maybe Cutting the Hell Gang was first. I can't remember. I was kicking it when I did Solitary Pleasure. I was kicking it in Cincinnati, Ohio. And there's a bunch of musician buddies of mine there, a bunch of cool bands from there. Like, yeah. Uh, Johnny Walker from the Soledad Brothers, uh, Ruben from the band Perlene, and Lance Kaufman from the band Star uh, Star Room Devil, Starlight Devil, Star Devils. Fuck. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we got together just for kicks. We were all in in town, and we had a tape machine and all our equipment. So it was like, well, let's do a covers record. Um, same thing with the painkillers, that record I did with, uh, left land cruiser that was just, just trying to stay busy while I figured out what I was going to do. Was I going to pursue this James Lake solo thing? Was I going to start a whole new band or, uh, you know, sell insurance. It was tough. Was oh, tough decision. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Um, big fan of, uh, Johnny Walker here at the Romanus <laughs> records podcast, um, he, uh, was a big influence on just me as a, I don't know, person. He took, he had songs that just made, had like gospel style blues undertones and like it sounded cool and gnarly and influenced me, influenced how this label even exists to this point. Like how we started, it started out as just like a side thing and then became serious. And it's weird how all that's intertwined. So you go from that and then you have the first James Leg album come out. And what was the response to that? Like, was it scary to start something totally new as James Leg? You know, in hindsight, I at the time I thought I wanted a mask. That's why I started playing under the name James Leg. Um, and for sure, it's cool to have a mask. It's especially now I've been clean and sober a long time. I feel like that wild thing inside of me, I've given it a name and I let it walk around on stage and that's all. So the mask I think has been a little healthy for me, but in hindsight, when you're booking new gigs, uh, or going into new markets, perhaps a catchy band name is much better than just a person's name. You know, because a person's name, it can be anything. You don't know what it is unless folks knew already that it was the dude from the Black Diamond Heavy. So that was a little bit of a tough transition to get my crowd to to come along. Um, the That first record, I'm super proud of it, man. It, in fact, it might be my favorite of the leg records. Uh, but maybe initially... It, it was slow moving at first. I would imagine. So do you uh, like, did you have an agent at this time or were you booking all of your own gigs? Uh, I had an agent in Europe. Um, and there was, yeah, there was an agent in the USA that I was working with for a bit. Now I don't have any representation in USA and uh, I kind of changed my strategy in Europe. I had one booking agent for Europe for many years, but it seemed like doing it that way, the most I could possibly get would be maybe two months of shows for 
a whole year for sure, maybe even two years, like those two months tour would be the only, only thing. So I, I decided to approach it a little differently and left my booking agent for Europe and started working with more regional agencies. So I've got somebody for France. I've got somebody for Spain. I've got somebody for the UK. I've got somebody for Scandinavia. I've got somebody for the Balkan area. And then I just reach out to each of them and say, okay, here's this four week block for you. Here's this four week. Anyway, by doing it this way, instead of three shows in France and then three shows in Spain and then three shows in Portugal, instead of that, I can do two weeks in each, you know, I'm sure that makes it a little easier too, as far as just lodging and everything that goes with that when you're over there, instead of just, you know, the drives and everything like where you're going country to country every couple days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, um, you're over these days. I mean, other virus aside, you're generally, I've noticed in Europe a lot. Um, is that by design? Uh, it looks, I mean, your pictures always look like they're pretty rowdy shows over there. Are, is there just a hunger for, for like American rock music over there? What, uh, yeah, why are you over there so much? Because it looks well, awesome. Def- definitely, there is a hunger for American rock over there, um, and I think, I mean, any any American rock, but it's for me being uh, what I would call roots based, like kind of where I'm com- whatever it is, it comes from you know blues and gospel and tennessee and texas and all of that kind of thing and they they seem to really eat that up man but i think really i mean there's even a bible verse about it isn't it prophet in his own land isn't well received or something i think if you're doing music (laughs) the thing is the, the further you take it away the more exotic it is and people appreciate it like if i go out today and see if i have to choose if i could go to a show today and i had to choose between a band from brazil and then there's also a band from nashville playing probably i would be more interested to go see the band from brazil that makes sense makes sense so and it's the same over there it's the same over there how um so what's i guess because you are over there a lot what's what are some of your favorite places over there is there any cities that like you just are think are incredible like any great experiences over there Uh, yes so many great experiences and so many great cities it's really difficult to choose uh just one france has always kind of been my base i lived in strasbourg for a few years which is right on the border it's in france but it's just on the border with germany it's a really good location for Europe. You can kind of, it's kind of almost in the middle, man. You can get everywhere from Strasbourg. And, and I like Paris. I spent a lot of time in Paris and I've spent a lot of time in Bordeaux and I've spent a lot of time in Brittany, part of France. France for me is, is a really good one. Um, but really everywhere, uh, the, the Balkan area, Eastern Europe, former Yugoslavia, I've been hitting that really hard these last couple of years, partly because they have, they're not part of Schengen space over there. Serbia is not part of Europe and it's not part of Schengen. Uh, 
Croatia is part of Europe, but it's not part of Schengen. So what that means is between Europe, Croatia, and Serbia, you don't really have to come back to the USA and you don't have to have a visa. If you're, if you're smart with the way you book your traveling, that's you smart. Stay. <laughs> that's pretty wild. And is that how you ended up living over there for a little while? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. That's wild. Um, when did you, what years were you living over there? See, this, this is why this is so great. This is all news to me. Like, oh, okay. yeah, no, uh, this is, uh, this is great. This was like 2015 until just last, what, 2018. And I mean, I was still coming back to the U.S. quite often at that time, but I considered Strasbourg home at that time. That's cool. What, um, so what brought, like, uh, this is hard to say, what brought you back, I guess, like to, I guess, to the, be the U.S. full time or whatever? For the time being, you're pretty, you're pretty nomadic. So I, yeah. I <laughs> uh, man, my girlfriend and I broke up. I was seeing a French girl there in Strasbourg and we split up and I came back to, uh, the USA to figure out my moves. But so I, I'm not really living anywhere since then. I just kind of stay mobile. Um, I was still, I was overseas, I think eight months of the year last year and i was due to be in france right this moment in fact on a big tour and then i was supposed to be there again for the summer but who knows I, right now i'm canceled until uh the end of july and i'm waiting to see if that is even gonna happen yeah i think that's pretty it's pretty much that way for everybody unfortunately right now um it's just the yeah nobody knows what's Nobody knows what's going on, man. It's uh, it's scary stuff. Um, so you, how many James Leg records, full links have you put out currently? Uh, so there's three leg full links. Yeah. Okay, and then so with uh, Romanus Records, you, I guess here's the fun question: How did you hear about us, or did I just accost you at some show? I can't remember. Uh, man, I we met for the first time at a show at, at in uh, at the lodge in Cincinnati. Yes, yeah, and I feel yeah. Like maybe that was even was that at a wedding or was that just a show? Because no, my buddy so, H, was it just a show? I think it was just a show that Johnny okay. was supposed to be recording, and the Manus oh, brothers, <laughs> the Manus brothers were on tour, and. Um, they were like, Hey, we're going to go to this and you should come like the lodge in Cincinnati, which is Johnny's palace down there is like about an hour and a half from my house. So I was like, man, I got nothing to do. I'll, I'll go see James leg. And, Cause the, the Manus okay. brothers talk you up like the second coming. Um, and so, okay. and I, and I really like those boys. So I was like, all right, like, let's do it. And, uh, yeah, it blew me away. I also, <laughs> Oh, I remember talking to you for the first time after that show. And I, I said something probably extended like, Hey, I make these really weird records. I'd like to make you some at some point. Um, <laughs> and my label was still, it was still pretty much very much in its infancy at that point. But I remember also you were like, Oh, these are cool, man. Yeah. 
I, you said something. You said like these are really great to look at, man. What was Johnny doing up there? <laughs> 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 I just remember for some reason Johnny was playing a uh, guitar during his song, and you were just kind of like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, man. I'll never that, forget that. That was that was uh, poorly put. To, it was a great idea, poorly executed. We we were going <laughs> to record. Uh, do a live recording of a show. It made sense. It was going to be super cool. And then no zero preparation went into it until like 30 minutes before the show. Like when, when they're setting up mics and shit and no rehearsal, of course it didn't come out. It didn't turn out. <laughs> you know, I, I think the Manus brothers had told me about you prior. They, that I had also heard about uh, the label from the Manus brothers. And I think they'd even sh- give, showed me the link and showed me what you were doing. And it was like, oh, yeah, super hip, man. But, yeah, we met at that show. Well, big love to the Manus brothers and big love to Johnny Walker. I just remember yeah, going there. Sure. I Look, even if the recording hey, it, didn't turn say, out, man, let I me thought say, it was awesome. A, yeah, I mean, it was a good show. It, it's just maybe not something you'd want to sit down and listen to in the privacy of your home. I don't know. <laughs> if you weren't there, I don't know if it would make sense. But let me say this, it, it is a long list. The number of times Dr. Johnny Walker has saved my ass, man. He is, uh, (laughs) Dr. Johnny Walker is the patron saint of James leg. I can tell you that. He seems like, uh, he's like a real man of mystery. Like that guy has done a lot. And the more I learn about him, the more I'm like, this guy's like a Renaissance man. This guy's crazy. Um, Yeah. Big love for Johnny Walker. So um, time passes, and I think I had you at the first Romanus Fest, and um, I don't know if there will be a Romanus Fest this year. I have a date, but it's uh, like everybody else in the music biz right now. We're not sure if anything's going to happen. But I think you are in the right now, you've put together a full length that you hope to release with someone at some point. And I think you released, you reached out to me and asked like, Hey, would you want to take a look at these songs for some seven inches that, uh, you recorded in France, correct? Yeah. Yep. Those two songs were recorded in France. And I think when we started talking, I had it in my mind that I was going to try an experiment of doing just singles for a little while. Um, I've, I've since kind of backed off that idea. I, I think rather, doing it more the old school way of a a couple of singles off of the forthcoming LP, I think makes more sense than just trying to switch to doing singles. It's, as you know, it's harder to get press and magazines and whatnot. You know, it's a little trickier with a seven inch, but yeah. um, Well, either way, a, we were stoked that we've gotten to put some James Lake stuff out. Oh yeah. Me too, man. And uh, I'm ready. I'm stoked to get some of like all this stuff in your hands too. Just because I, I, a lot of times our mission has been to make vinyl that we think is like is as looks as good, you know, and as cool as like this music is, you know. And uh, regardless of how big, small, ugly, or tall a band is, and like, um, you know, I think bands deserve that. And uh, yeah, so stoked that, and uh, you know, hope that we can. Oh, makes sense. Do more. So how, yeah. how is writing this album like 
come together? When did you do it? Have you been doing it different places across the world? How's it kind of come about? Exactly that doing it in different places across the world. I need to be sitting at the piano and alone to really, I'm not so prolific of a lyric writer. That's the problem. I can, I can come up with melodies and harmonies, but lyrics are a little trickier for me. And as I get older, I find I don't even know what I want to say in this world anymore. It's, I need to be alone with the piano. And that is the tricky part because I'm always, I'm always traveling and touring. And when I'm on tour, I'm not really alone with the piano. I'm at the piano on stage. And so it's difficult, but I've got about half the record uh, finished and I've got the music for the second half and the lyrics. That is exactly how I plan to spend this forced isolation. (laughs) It's funny because I've been telling the universe for the last few months, I really just need to be alone at the piano with no distractions to finish these words. I've got to get this record finished. Well, here we go. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. It's not, I'm sure it's not the way we all intended that no, to I happen. I I didn't fuck it up for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's James Legg's fault. All right, look at his tour schedule. This dude has yeah. been a walking plague. He's, a, he's going across the globe all the time. He's been building... <laughs> Uh, you're actually patient zero. You have the immunity because you travel so much and you're so nomadic. Um, people don't know it yet though. Johnny Walker will figure it out though. Um, oh man. Well, Hey, uh, first, you know, thanks for taking time. I really hope that this new record comes out, you know, just how you want it to. And, uh, I hope that, you know, goodness gracious, you stay safe during all this. Um, I mean, what have you, I guess like a, a very common thing right now is these online streams and stuff because bands don't know what else to do um, with everything. Uh, you did one last week. How did you think that went? I did one last I think it went really good. People were really kind uh, and eager about it and excited. I think it was really cool. I'm trying everyone's doing it right now and so i'm i'm trying to stay out of the way a little bit i think i will do another one uh maybe in a week or two even um it was cool i mean it's weird it's different i was something i was gonna say earlier too man is like you were talking about y'all's mission of like having a product that's really looks looks as awesome as it sounds and 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 like this and i I think you're on the right track because i think for musicians man that's all that's left to us music is free now the the moment a record comes out it's online and available to anyone uh the only thing we really can offer is a, a really nice physical product uh and shows like that's that's it yeah i think no uh well, thank you. We, uh, man, yeah, I, it just started, you know, I think about, cause I think about this a lot just within the confines of being a musician myself about like whenever, you know, a band ends or whatever, do I want to look back at it and, you know, be like, man, we had some great times and we took out 
thousands upon thousands of dollars for all these, you know, publicists and all this crazy stuff and, you know, took the risk, but maybe we're the band ends and we're 20,000 in debt or don't want to focus on trying to run things as well. And as, you know, DIY partnership as possible, make the best looking product I can so that whenever anyone's life cycle ends, as far as a band, they can look back and be like, Hey, this is awesome. Like I'm, you know, this is my yeah. music. This is my band. Like, you know, and be proud of it. And that's been such a, yeah, a passion for us to try to just do that with all these bands. And so many of these bands are friends. You know, they've become friends of ours. And, uh, you know, we want our friends to have stuff that like they're proud of, you know, instead that's of just, sure. just being like, yep, it's out, you know, go buy it. I hope, you know, cause it can be pretty <laughs> depressing, you know, touring all the time. And it's just like, uh, there's sometimes that I'm it's super fun for bands and there's other times it's like it's a grind like you'd like to just go chill out for a few weeks and just you know be a normal person um I watched uh there's something I saw that was like I thought a great insight to that I watched a there's a CZ Top documentary on Netflix right now and their bass player after their first big real big tour as soon as it was over, he was like, I, I'm so over this lifestyle. And he went and got a job at the airport just so that he could just like feel like a normal person. And he did that <laughs> for like six months. And I thought that was so telling. You know, it's yeah. it definitely has its ups and downs. So we appreciate what you're doing, man. So hey, thanks, man. No, it's a, uh, you know. Yeah, I don't want to get on some soapbox about musicians being undervalued or something, but in these times right now, like people want to be entertained, you know, and like they're people are turning to the arts, you know, they want they want TV shows, they want to watch hear music during these times of isolation, you know, and uh yeah, just, we need to keep valuing that. So um, Well, I'll hope I'll hope together that you know, obviously things gish for the world get back to normal and uh you know obviously that uh you know hope health and happiness you know come your way james man i really appreciate you know you just coming on doing this interview with me tell me you know your story and uh look forward to uh d hopefully doing more after this is over we're going to play both tracks um awesome. from the new seven inch um that are uh available now romanusrecords.com we've sold through everything but some of the splatters and uh which by the way are kind of my favorite so no it's uh, just the reality of like scarcity so yeah uh, yeah yeah we uh no we think they're pretty cool too i'm i'm excited for some to be in your hands so uh <laughs> instead of you just having to see pictures of them so um but yeah if you want to support james uh he, i mean he's got a amazing catalog of stuff available over to live records um, he's got the seven inch over at romanusrecords.com. And then, uh, during this time, uh, I know you have a, uh, you have a Venmo, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, what is that? You can go ahead and plug it, man. Everybody's it's tough times right now. Uh, man, to be honest, I'm not real sure what my, <laughs> I think my Venmo is just my name, John Wesley Myers. Uh, well, we I'm will, uh, We'll verify that and make sure to put that in the uh, in the description. But yeah, I mean, it's tough times for everybody, but especially when you're someone who 
tours full time and that's what you do, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, we appreciate what you're doing, man. And, uh, thank you for your time. And, uh, I'm sure we'll talk more soon, man. Uh, be safe. Hey, thanks so much, Chris. Yeah, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Later. Uh, you're all, man.